Calvin Johnson is not going anywhere. He's not. I'll believe that Calvin Johnson is retiring when I see him on a podium giving a retirement speech. Until then, I'm not considering him retired. Why is everyone saying goodbye to Calvin Johnson? This makes no sense. You all are just a bunch of sports lemmings. Why do you think he's retiring? Because Adam Schefter is regurgitating the same report that he released a month ago that Calvin Johnson wants to retire, that he told his mother a month ago, right after the season concluded that he wanted to retire, and then in that same time frame, he also told his coaches. That's the only new information we're getting right now. That's it. We knew his sentiments at the end of last season. We knew he didn't want to play football anymore. We knew his body hurt. We knew his passion for the game was waning at the end of last season because that's what he told his mother. That was reported in early January. So what's the new news that has come out? Adam Schefter is reporting that he also told coaches that he wanted to retire from football. Were the sentiments that he shared with his mother not enough? Why was it the sentiments shared with the coaches that mattered and not the sentiments he shared with his mother? What you say to your mother in private that somehow becomes public, to me, is more meaningful than some emotionally charged remark to a coach at the end of a disappointing season. Yeah, Calvin Johnson didn't feel like playing football anymore at the end of a disappointing season. Another losing season for the Detroit Lions. Calvin Johnson was sick of it. Didn't want to be part of it anymore. And who would blame him? Who wouldn't have those sentiments? Yet, this is what's consuming the news cycle. It's not the Super Bowl. No, it's not the NFL draft even, which usually consumes football Twitter and the football mainstream media news cycle. No, it's Calvin Johnson's retirement, except he hasn't retired. It's just a tweet by Adam Schefter. The hell is wrong with you people? You are so gullible. Your emotions hang on a string. And the puppeteer is Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport. Don't you realize that? Your emotions swing on this pendulum back and forth based on tweets by Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport. That is pathetic. You are pathetic. You're pathetic because you're so gullible. Why are you gullible? Because of what we talk about on the show all the time. You're not thinking critically. You're just taking what is reported on Twitter on face value. And what's been reported? That Adam Schefter heard from someone, that heard from someone, that Calvin Johnson didn't want to play football anymore at the end of a broken, disappointing season with the Detroit Lions. Maurice Jones-Drew told us that 30% of veteran players have the same sentiments that Calvin Johnson shared at the end of the season. Maurice Jones-Drew told us that when the season concluded, in his final years... With a losing franchise like the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Oakland Raiders, at the conclusion of the season, Maurice Jones-Drew wanted to retire. And he told us a significant percentage of NFL players, particularly veterans on losing franchises, contemplate retirement at the end of the season because they are so disappointed and because their bodies are in so much pain. And we know that Calvin Johnson was a game-time decision for multiple weeks to conclude the season because he was in so much pain. So why is anyone surprised 
that at the end of the season, he wants to retire. Of course he does. Who wouldn't? But it very rarely happens. The probability that a player in Calvin Johnson's position actually retires is slim. In fact, there is no player in NFL history that will have walked away from more money than Calvin Johnson is scheduled to make. So if Calvin Johnson retires, he will have walked away from more money than any other player has walked away from in retirement in NFL history. That is an improbable scenario. That's what I'm talking about. Think critically. What will probably happen? Think through all the dynamics. Humanize the situation. Put yourself in Calvin Johnson's shoes. And think about how the brain works. How physiology works. How someone can be demoralized at one point and then months later become invigorated. How a body can feel broken, shooting pain through the limbs. And then the body rests and heals and feels fresh again. Think about these things, think it through, think critically, and then make your own decision about whether or not you believe that Calvin Johnson will end up retiring because he hasn't retired yet! He hasn't retired! What are you people doing? What are you talking about? He hasn't had a press conference. He hasn't gone up on a podium and cried. He hasn't turned in his wings. Adam Schefter heard from somebody that heard from somebody. That's all we know. So gullible you are. So he is demoralized, that is true. His body is broken, that is true. But that doesn't mean he's going to retire just because he thinks he wants to retire now. Maurice Jones-Drew told us that 30% of players, once they get into their veteran years, at the end of December, are considering retirement. But if you had to go back and look at the season, look at the game log for the Detroit Lions, I would guess that Calvin Johnson's mental breaking point occurred in week 13 when they were about to beat the Green Bay Packers and lost on a Hail Mary. Did you see the look on Calvin Johnson's face when the Hail Mary was completed to Richard Rodgers? He just sunk into the ground. He looked like Wiley Coyote just sinking into the quicksand with just a sad face just slowly descending. At that point, I believe he was mentally broken but a mentally broken individual can be reinvigorated. It's possible. It's not only possible, it's probable. It's probable when you are the most athletically gifted player in the history of the position. Yeah, it's possible that he might want to play football again. The one thing that Calvin Johnson was born to do on this planet. Yeah, I think there's a good chance at age 30, he's going to want to do it again. Did you just call me crazy? I'm crazy. Not nuts. I'm nuts. <laughs> Not crazy! The most gifted player at his position at age 30 may want to continue that profession that he was born to play, that he was born to do, that he was born to perform. He may want to do that again. Might. Or, or he could retire and forego $13 million of guaranteed income, number one. And number two, give back $3.2 million of prorated signing bonus. What do you think is more likely when you take a step back and you put yourself in Calvin Johnson's shoes? You empathize with him. You think about the dynamics of the situation. What do you think is actually going to happen? Do you think he's actually going to retire? No! If you do, you are gullible! You are a puppet controlled by Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport.
It's not a small thing to give back $3.2 million. I actually think that Calvin Johnson having to give back $3.2 million of his original signing bonus is a bigger inhibitor to his retirement than foregoing the future $13 million of salary. And here's why. Most people do not have $3.2 million in their checking account. Most people are not Floyd Mayweather. Calvin Johnson is not going to just drive to the Lions facility, pull out his checkbook, and write a check for $3.2 million and say, thanks for the memories, guys. Just kidding. Playing in Detroit was awful. No, he's not going to say that. He's not going to do that either. In order to give back $3.2 million, he would most likely have to go into his investment accounts and start to liquidate assets give back retirement savings. Logistically, that's easier said than done. Also, most people that make millions of dollars also accrue millions of dollars in annual expenses. You become accustomed to a particular lifestyle and to suddenly stop earning any money to support that lifestyle. Maybe he's had this elaborate plan to retire for years behind the scenes and we didn't know, but I doubt it. If the Lions won the Super Bowl this year, do you think Calvin Johnson would follow through on a secret retirement plan that he and his accountant and his wife have been planning for years to write a check to the Lions for $3.2 million and forego $13 million of future income? Right, right, yeah, that, yeah, right, yeah, sure, yeah. He's had this master plan all along, right. What's more likely is that he's become accustomed to a particular lifestyle. And when you become accustomed to a particular lifestyle, it's important to continue to earn money to continue that lifestyle into the future. And you might say, well, what is a custom? Well, Chris Rock talked about this. I'm accustomed to this. I'm accustomed to that. I'm accustomed to this. What the fuck is accustomed to? You go to a restaurant, you're accustomed to eating. You leave, you aren't eating anymore. They don't owe you a steak. The Lions don't owe Calvin Johnson anything. In fact, he is going to owe them $3.2 million. And the idea that Calvin Johnson and Calvin Johnson's wife, the Lions are going to claw back, right? The Lions are claw back $3.2 million through Calvin Johnson's wife's cold, dead fingers, they will claw back that money. And what does that mean? That means Calvin Johnson is playing football in 2016. But I understand why Calvin Johnson would want to retire. Who wouldn't understand that? On January 2nd, it makes all the sense in the world that Calvin Johnson would be convinced, convinced that retirement was a wise decision, that it was the best thing for his body, his soul, his family. If you put yourself in Calvin Johnson's shoes, it's absolutely understandable that he would feel that genuinely, that when he spoke to his mother and when he spoke to his coaches, he meant it. I believe that in that moment, he meant it. The Lions finished 7-9, another losing season. He suffered with multiple relatively severe lower body injuries, including playing through a high ankle sprain. Football players have told us one of the most painful things that you can do is to play through a high ankle sprain because you can do it. They can wrap the ankle so you have the necessary support. And then it's what the football trainers like to call a pain tolerance issue. 
oh, it's a pain tolerance issue. So Calvin Johnson was playing despite a major pain tolerance issue. So yes, I understand why he genuinely wanted to retire at the end of the season. I don't think this is a negotiation ploy. Calvin Johnson doesn't strike me as the type of player that would leak reports in a conniving fashion to gain leverage on an employer. He might be. I don't know Calvin Johnson personally, but he doesn't strike me as the type of player that would do that. Few players would do that. So I don't think this was some elaborate ruse to gain negotiation leverage. I think he genuinely wanted to retire at the end of the season. It makes perfect sense. But then time goes by. Time goes by. And you were experiencing piercing pain throughout your lower extremities at the time that you genuinely wanted to retire. But then you rest and the piercing pain subsides. And then your legs feel fresh. And then you're back outside playing basketball and playing soccer with kids, with friends, and suddenly you feel better. Suddenly the intense desire to get away from the sport of football subsides. Then all of a sudden, you've finished watching the entire backlog of episodes that you had saved on the DVR. You're all caught up on Vikings. You're all caught up on Game of Thrones. You're all caught up on Veep, my favorite show, Veep. You're all caught up on Transparent. All right. I'm going out on a limb and saying Calvin Johnson probably does not watch Transparent, but what do I know? Once you're sitting at home with nothing to do and your body feels fresh, suddenly writing a check to your former employer for $3.2 million and walking away from at least $13 million of guaranteed money feels pretty stupid. So I don't think he's retiring because the difference between daring the team to cut you and retiring is $16 million. Do you really think any person in this society is so principled that they would simply walk away from $16 million guaranteed because they didn't want to dare their former employer to cut them? Really? That's preposterous. Once Calvin Johnson feels reinvigorated, it would make sense that rather than getting cut and forcing his team to eat $13 million in dead money, that he would say, hey, let's restructure. Because Calvin Johnson's contract is an albatross. It's an albatross to Calvin Johnson because at this moment, he doesn't feel like playing football anymore. And no team wants to pay a wide receiver $24 million. So neither side wants this contract in its current state. So why not restructure? I think they will. When neither side wants an agreement, that's when the agreement is nullified and a new agreement is put in place. That's how business works. So I think the Lions are going to approach Calvin Johnson and say, hey, let's extend you. Let's increase the amount of guaranteed money that you're going to make over the next three years so that you're guaranteed to make $30 million if you play for us for another three seasons instead of $16 million. And then the team has more cap space in which to build around you, to build around the core. The Lions have an exciting core. The Lions were 6-2 and two after their bye, and they were a failed Hail Mary away from being 7-1 and one after their bye. So Calvin Johnson opting to restructure instead of retiring is the rational move, is the likely scenario. That is probably what is going to happen. But, but, that's not what Adam Schefter reported, that someone reported, that someone told him, that Calvin Johnson told them a month ago, moments after he limped off the field. Moments after he suffered another heartbreaking loss and another body-breaking season. No, 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 no. The rational move is probably not going to happen. 
but what Adam Schefter tells us is going to happen based on some game of telephone he's been playing, that's what's going to happen. Is that where we are with these NFL newsbreakers now? We take everything they say on face value? Have we learned nothing about the fallibility of sports reporters in the last decade? <laughs> Honestly. The generic sports fan in this country is the most gullible type of person on this planet. The sports fan that believes that Calvin Johnson is actually going to retire is more gullible than the person who writes a check to an African prince who desperately needs your help. So Buzzard writes in, Well, I guess Detroit just became interesting, huh? Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? In a previous show, I said that Detroit was not a team I'm interested in talking about. I'd rather talk about rosters with more fluid dynamics, like Miami, like Washington. Those rosters are more interesting to talk about in the offseason than Detroit. Oh, but now Detroit's interesting. Thank you, Buzzard. Thank you for that. Sorry, I didn't hear the news that Calvin Johnson wants to retire. Clearly, the first 25 minutes of the show illustrate that that news escaped me. Thank you, Buzzard. The buzzard goes on to say, what about number one wide receiver, Golden Tate? Ah, yes, Golden Tate. I love Golden Tate. But most fantasy analysts don't like Golden Tate because I read that Golden Tate is a WR2 in fantasy, not a true WR1. Yeah, Golden Tate's not a true WR1. He's not. Why isn't he? Because I said so. That's why. Okay. Any other reason? Not really. Not really. I just said it. So I just, I'm just saying it. It's based on nothing, but I'm just saying he's a WR2, and that's it. He's not a WR1. Well, here's the thing. Golden Tate was the number one primary option for the Seattle Seahawks a few years back. And the Seattle Seahawks were near the bottom of the league in pass attempts, so it was impossible for Golden Tate to achieve WR1 status in fantasy. Mathematically impossible with such a low volume. But then a funny thing happened. In 2014, Calvin Johnson missed five games. And in those five games, Golden Tate became the number one option for a relatively prolific NFL offense. And what did Golden Tate do? In week four of 2014, he had 19.6 points. Then he had 24.4 points. Then he had 11.4 points. Then he had 31.4 points. Then he had 28.1 points. Then he had 21.9 points before Calvin Johnson returned. And then after that, he still continued to post 15 points, 17 points, and so on for the rest of the season. So when Calvin Johnson is present, Golden Tate is a WR2 in fantasy. And when Calvin Johnson is not present, Golden Tate is an entrenched WR1 in fantasy. So the numbers don't back up your assertion, generic football Twitter analysts. Also, one thing I like about Golden Tate is that he has a particular trait in which he is the best in the league. I gravitate towards players who have a particular trait that is number one in the NFL. There's just something about that. Someone who has honed their craft to such an extent that they can now say, I am the best in the league at doing this particular thing. Antonio Brown can say, I'm the best route runner in the league. Julio Jones can say, I am the most explosive wide receiver in the league. Odell Beckham Jr. can say, I have the best hands of any wide receiver in the league. And Golden Tate can say, I am the best yards after the catch receiver in the league. 
Golden Tate can say, I am the yak monster of the league. Because over the last two years, Golden Tate has led the NFL in yards after the catch per target. He secures passes, and he gets upfield better than any other receiver in the league because Golden Tate is 5'10", 202. He's built like a running back, but he runs routes like a receiver. And because Golden Tate has a high BMI for a wide receiver and he has a low center of gravity, he is able to secure passes and pivot upfield faster and more efficiently than any other wide receiver. And then he also has 4'4", wheels, which allows him to gain separation, both before and after the catch, and maximize yards after the catch. So that is a player I like. I like a player who could possibly be the number one wide receiver on an offense that has perennially been in the top 10 in pass attempts, the Detroit Lions. So you have the number one receiver on a high-volume offense who is the best in the league at yards after the catch and has proven in consecutive seasons with the Lions to be their most efficient wide receiver. In 2014, Golden Tate had a plus 9.5 production premium on playerprofile.com. That was 27th in the league, and he was plus 18.4 target premium. That was 13th in the league. Golden Tate was top 20 in target premium, yards per target, catch rate, and red zone catch rate in 2014. And then Golden Tate was also top 20 in catch rate in 2015. In 2015, Golden Tate had a 70% catch rate and 4.2 yards after the catch per target. Per target. 4.2 is almost what Jarvis Landry had total per target. That's just what Golden Tate had after the catch. So Golden Tate has been the most efficient receiver on the Detroit Lions and could conceivably be their number one option in 2016. Because yes, it is conceivable that Calvin Johnson retires. I'm not saying Calvin Johnson definitely won't retire. We're talking about probabilities, not definitive certainties. But I am telling you that Calvin Johnson probably won't retire. But if he does... Ooh, I love me some Golden Tate. I will own some Golden Tate next year. Can you tell I just watched Chris Rock bring the pain? Can you tell? It's so obvious. It's just, I am channeling Chris Rock today. So Buzzard writes in, you forgot about the concierge newsletter. That's the best part of signing up for concierge. On the last show, I talked about ways to support the show. And you can go to playerprofiler.com forward slash concierge and sign up for my personal advice service. It's $60 and it's worth it because I invest a lot in you to help your fantasy team. The thing I didn't talk about is that every month in the off season and every week during the season, I send an exclusive newsletter to concierge customers. During the offseason, I talk about MFL 10, value picks, dynasty rookie draft targets of mine. And during the season, I rank my favorite waiver wire selections. And I also give you a couple ideas for streamers every weekend. So that's another aspect of the concierge service that I left out last show. So I wanted to make sure that I explained why it is worth it because we had people write in, well, $60, I better get a foot massage. Time is money, and over time, throughout the course of the season, I invest hours in the concierge customers. So what does that come out to? Let's say it's six hours. 60 divided by six, that's $10 an hour. That's not a lot of money. Think about it. 
If you can't afford concierge, that's okay. There are other ways to support the show. If you can't afford concierge, one thing I would ask that you do is go to iTunes and submit a review. Rate the show. Give it whatever you want. Give it one star, give it five stars. I'm not saying, hey, go to iTunes. I'm not soliciting five-star reviews. No, no, not pandering for five-star reviews. No, no. This show will never be a full-blown five-star show. We will never be the highest-rated show on iTunes. Why? Because a lot of people hate me. They hate my style. They hate what I do. They would much rather listen to a generic fantasy bro show that breaks down the best off-season free agents that breaks down the NFL draft, that breaks down the upcoming matchups, that goes through last week's box scores. We don't do that on this show. And those people that are looking for that show, the show that they think every fantasy show should be, when they listen to this show, they're disappointed. And that's okay. But if you like the show, and you're not disappointed, and you like my style, and you like my content, please go to iTunes and rate the show. And as a bonus, if you want to actually write a review, that would be great. I would love that. I just recently went through the reviews on iTunes, and I was pleasantly surprised. And I just want to say to all of you in the audience, I appreciate the positive remarks. Those of you that wrote the cutting negative remarks, fuck you. But I did laugh for what it's worth. I also looked at the comments on the Roto Underworld YouTube channel. I had never done that. Once in a while, I would notice a comment on one of the videos. We splice up some of the highlights from the show, and then we put little two-minute segments on YouTube. If members of the audience found a particular section of the show funny, I'll cut it and put some imagery to it and put it up on the Roto Underworld YouTube channel. But I've never actually looked at the aggregate list of comments. Internet comments. It's, wow! Mind-blowing! Good thing I have a sense of humor. Woo! But yeah, the best thing you can do if you are a fan of this show is to rate us on iTunes. That does help us grow the audience, and that's important. Now, one thing I want to mention from the AFC and NFC Championship games that I watched a little over a week ago. A couple observations. The first one is that Carson Palmer was absolutely impacted by his dislocated finger, and I told you this would be the case. The index finger is the launch point for the football. When you think about the grip, how a quarterback grips it, the finger that's closest to the nose is the index finger. It absorbs the majority of the pressure that goes into launching a football down the field. A strong index finger is critical to pushing the ball down the field. And Carson Palmer's index finger was dislocated. He had to pop it back into place. That takes weeks to fully heal and to regain full strength. So if you have a weakened index finger, that is going to necessarily make you a weaker thrower. And we talked about this on the show. And then Albert Greer reports after the NFC Championship game that the finger was an issue for Carson Palmer. And I'm sitting back going, you think? Really? But th these newsbreakers, right? They're either playing telephone and telling you emotionally charged predictions that players give about themselves the day after a game, making a decision they don't actually have to make for another three months. Adam Schefter's running to Twitter and reporting that as news. And then Albert Breer is reporting as news 
that Carson Palmer's dislocated index finger was an issue, really, in the NFC Championship game when he had 235 yards, one touchdown, four interceptions, and two lost fumbles in a blowout loss to the Panthers. You think it was an issue? Of course it was an issue. When you think about the mechanics of throwing a football, you know it was an issue. But my biggest issue with the AFC and NFC Championship games was the Patriots-Broncos broadcast. I'm a Patriots fan. I am. Technically, I'm a Patriots fan. I try not to let it influence my analysis, but I am from New England. I am a Patriots fan. And for the first time all season, I chose, as a fan of the team, to watch the Patriots-Broncos game with the sound on. And my God, was it horrific. How does Phil Simms get to a position where he's the number one color analyst for NFL football on CBS? I mean, how is Phil Simms even allowed to speak on television? This befuddles me. Because this is the Phil Simms playbook. Whenever a Phil Simms speaks, you either get a baseless assertion, a straw man, some bad assumption, a broad generalization, a non-fact, a mischaracterization, or some blatant inaccuracy. It's farcical! Luckily, I'm going to a Super Bowl party. I won't have to listen to the broadcast. And thank God. The CBS broadcast that I watched for the AFC Championship game was the worst combination of studio talent and broadcasting talent I've experienced in my lifetime. If I had to sit down and listen to that broadcast in its entirety again, I would disavow the sport of football forever. Because it wasn't just Phil Simms and his asinine commentary. Then they go to halftime. The halftime personalities. Bill Cowher. What's his contribution? Oh, it's a real chess match. Then they throw it to Tony Gonzalez. What does Tony Gonzalez say? Tony Gonzalez called it a chess game. He couldn't just use a cliche and move on. He had to get the cliche wrong. And by the way, have these cliche-driven meatheads ever seen an actual chess match? The NFL is supposed to be exciting. Actual chess matches are incredibly boring. If you think watching poker on television is boring, try watching a chess match. My only hope is that Calvin Johnson is actually the one playing a chess match with the Detroit Lions front office. 